Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with me, Dominic Archer and David Bryan. Hello, David. How are you today? Hi, Dom. I'm really well. I'm uh, glad to hear your voice. It's been too long. Oh, that's very, that's very sweet of you. This is the only podcast in the entire world, on the whole of the internet, that compares the political and footballing antics of the nations in Russia's 2018 World Cup to try and predict the winner and just analyse generally what happened. Today's episode is all about the quarterfinals. Well, not all about, but mostly about the quarterfinals. So, uh, Dave, let's, let's get straight into it. You, you could tell me what happened in the quarterfinals. In the quarterfinals? Oh, I can't believe we've come so far already. I've got to be honest. Like We're, we're, we're sat here the week of the semifinals and yeah. the final is only this Sunday and it doesn't seem that long ago since we started this, this little endeavour. But oh, don't! You're going to make me cry. It's it's getting emotional. Yeah. Uh, the quarterfinals of 2018. It's been great. Shall I start? Should we start chronologically? Should we start with I think France that seems versus like a good Uruguay? Idea. Yeah. So France versus Uruguay. We uh we've talked before about Uruguay. Um, some of their some of their tactics haven't been all that favor favorable. Um, but we've liked watching them play. I think I think haven't mm. we? Especially after. Um, getting through some tough games and getting through Portugal in the, in the round of 16. But I think what we saw in that quarterfinal was um, a bit like what we saw with perhaps with Russia in that group, uh, in Group A, when they finally came up against a really tough opposition. It was a bit of a wake-up call. And I think that was the same for Uruguay, even though they got through Portugal. And that's, you know, that's that's no mean feat, but Portugal perhaps are at the end of their... Uh, of their not their reign, but their this period they have of, of strength and very short-lived dominance, I suppose. They finally got to the final of the tournament one year, 2016, and they looked very strong at the beginning of this tournament. But yeah, maybe uh, we'll talk about them a bit more later. But I think so. France France have sort of come into their own. They've been strong. I don't think... I think they the, might have been the, the only team who have won every one of their games up until up until the quarterfinals. Um, oh no, they did draw. They did draw, didn't they? They drew against um, Denmark in their last group game. Mm. But they've been very strong. Not lost a single game, barely conceded any goals. Uh, their squad was was exciting in, to begin with, um, and some of their players are really now starting to to show their, that sort of team's unity that maybe has been questioned in the France squad in the past. Under Didier Deschamps, um, he's not been totally um, loved by the French football fans or the French media. They don't really like how he sets up this team of very good attacking players, especially that front three. Um, that the, the youthful front three if you discount Olivier Giroud who has been playing more and more as the tournament's gone on that front three that the French people love of Griezmann Ousmane Dembele of Barcelona and Kylian Mbappe they want to see those three set loose and running running rampant but Didier Deschamps plays a very organised uh, tactical style which if the French people don't like it because it's not very exciting it is getting results and it definitely showed that way against, against Uruguay not to concede a goal not to really let many, uh, you know, many shots shots away. Uruguay managed four shots on target, but what I think has been the story of this quarterfinals is that some of the goalkeeping has been world class and has kept teams in the World Cup. And some of the some other goalkeeping has sent their team out of this World mm. Cup, specifically, which is a hard word to say, apparently, <laughs> uh, specifically in this game where. Antoine Griezmann, with France already won the up, takes a shot from range, and poor Fernando Muslera flaps 
as a, as the flappiest little bird might do, and flaps that goal straight into that shot straight into his own goal. Um, in contrast to uh, Hugo Lloris, who has been solid this whole tournament, pulled off another world class save in that first half from a Caceres header. Um, and there, and uh, there we see, you know, a bit like Uruguay's chances, flap left flapping in the wind, like. Fernando Muslera's gloves is <laughs> trying his best. And, you know, interesting that having scored that goal, uh, Antoine Griezmann didn't celebrate. Initially, I thought it was because, well, why do you celebrate? Even if I mean, it is a World Cup quarterfinal, but do you really want to celebrate when the shot wasn't that great? It's just the keeper completely fluffed it. But apparently he went on to say that he is very enamoured with Uruguay and Uruguayan culture and some of his very close friends at Atletico Madrid a Uruguay who's playing against uh, Diego Godin and Jimenez, the Uruguayan mm. centre-halves, are his teammates at, um, teammates at Atletico Madrid. And I think he even said he feels like he might be um, half Uruguayan in, in in spirit, presumably. I know Diego Godin is actually he, he, the godfather to uh, Griezmann's child. So they're obviously uh. much... So maybe he didn't want to rub it in his teammates and his friends' faces. He's playing against friends. It's an emotional yeah. time or whatever. Um you know, maybe predictably Luis Suarez was not too taken with that. <laughs> he flat out rejected that um, Griezmann claimed to be half Uruguayan and just said, he's not Uruguayan, he's French and he scored a goal. So just why not just celebrate? <laughs> but it's easy to say if when you're a sore loser, perhaps. But, you know, nobody wants to go out at a World Cup quarterfinal. Um, but in, in the end, France deserved to win. They had the majority of the ball, majority of the possession. They were clinical. There are only two shots on target they scored from as opposed to the four shots on target Uruguay had and didn't manage to score a goal. So justice done, I suppose. And uh, let me move on. Should we move on? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's so go straight, straight to Brazil and Belgium, which was the, the next match. That yeah, let's go straight to Brazil, Belgium. Uh, that was a... Um, I, I, was, I was taken aback a little bit by the... It kind of seemed like bad luck was playing against Brazil a little bit in this game. Um, as well as a bit of a balance of maybe they deserve some of it. We've talked, I think, about some of the theatrics, particularly from their from their biggest star, Neymar, um, mm. putting a bit of a sour taste in the mouth of, of football fans around the world watching Brazil. They're supposed to be, Brazil are meant to be like the, you know, the samba football team, the exciting team to watch, the team everyone wants to see because of the, the calibre of the skillful players they have. And yet what I remember most about Brazil this World Cup is diving trying to win free kicks and penalties in a soft fashion and rolling yeah. around like a bit of a tool, um, which we saw a bit more of this today. But in terms of the bad luck, I mean, right in the beginning of this game, in the first half at nil-nil, um, a corner comes in and Thiago Silva, who's a big, I'm a big fan of Thiago Silva, I think he's a quality player, misses from point-blank range. And, you know, if, if they score that early on in the game, maybe the whole, well, you have to assume the entire story of the first half is different because it's not soon after that. Belgium get a corner and bad luck again goes against Brazil and comes off on Andinho's shoulder and goes in for an own goal. So that's a bit of a shame. But then Belgium don't just sit back. They take that momentum and they score another. That goal from Kevin De Bruyne, oh, that, that was what... That was really spectacular. Um, and that, one of the things that we, we've spoken about before is how De Bruyne is, is one of those players that's widely spoken about. And I think yeah. in a similar way to Hazard, really, where he's one of these danger players that in this World Cup seem to basically do nothing. Um, 
and didn't even seem to show up. And I was always kind of thinking, well, what is De Bruyne actually anywhere near as good as their people say that he is? And then that goal was just, oh, oh, right, that's why he's here. Yeah, that was that was absolutely class. Mm. But De Bruyne, I think, is one of those players um, when he plays in the where he wants to play, which is a bit deeper and more of a for play a deep playmaker role where he can ping things about. A lot of what he does, unless you're really watching him, kind of goes unnoticed because he wants to get involved, take as many touches as he can, have a big range of passes. He'll play short passes and he'll play long passes and he wants to try and pick holes in the defence, good through balls, which he is brilliant at. But yeah, it's... As opposed to Eden Hazard, who, when if he's showing up and if he's um, on form and if he's uh, exciting to watch, it's because he's running at people, he's nipping in around, he's doing skills, he's going, he's breezing past people with his pace and his quick feet. So he's, yeah. he's a bit more ostentatious, I suppose, in his ability, but... No doubt that that De Bruyne strike was was a peach, but I think because it's Kevin De Bruyne and everyone knows he's class, when he scores a goal like that, people are talking about that great goal. But it, what makes what I think about is um, in Japan's game, uh, that Anui goal against Belgium, that was, I think that's an even better strike. The way mm-hmm. he hit that, the ball doesn't even spin. I think we talked about it in, our, yes. in the last episode. That, I think, is a purer more perfect strike than De Bruyne's but I think no one's going to re- remember it because it was a you know a less sexy team like Japan scored it and they end up losing the game against Belgium so people will forget that but people will remember that De Bruyne strike um, mm. I have no doubt um, and then another key moment involving goalkeepers uh, towards the end of the first half and a brilliant save from Courtois against one of those those quintessential Philippe Coutinho shots where he comes in from the left just jinx inside uh, outside the box but just in front of the goal and just tries to bend one in and Courtois reaches with that those giant arms <laughs> and makes a great save at a really important time right before half time to keep Brazil, uh, to keep Belgium up 2-0 going into the break and then when we get to the second half that's when we see a bit more of this Neymar uh the the let's say the 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 less attractive version of uh Neymar on a football pitch and that is trying to go trying to win uh penalties and free kicks in an unsavory fashion so he goes down in the box pretty softly and you'd, and I'm just thinking that's Neymar like if you really wanted to you could probably do a couple of these defenders and score a goal but instead you want to try and score a goal by subterfuge and yeah. and conmanship which I think goes some way to, to sum up his tournament really I can say more about the negative side of Neymar than the positive side. I mean, he's shown glimpses of what he can do in the great side of his game as well, but it's just a shame that what we remember, because I think because Brazil have lost now and they're gone, uh, we'll remember Neymar for his antics as opposed to his, his skill and his brilliance, which is, you know, a shame, but that, that's that's on him. And he needs to, I think he needs to reassess his attitude a little bit, particularly with um, where his club uh, football is going right now. Is um, obviously the huge. I think he's the, the highest paid footballer in the world right now, uh, at Paris Saint Germain. And there, there is talk that the from the uh, outgoing PSG manager um, Unai Emery, who's now the new Arsenal manager for next season, there was talk that one reason he was so keen to leave is that with Neymar coming in with such a huge price tag and such massive wages, the team was being run by Neymar, not by the manager. Mm. Um, so I think there's maybe a bit of ego involved with with Neymar and and ego is important if you're one of those attacking players you need to have ego you need to believe that you're better than the people you're up against in order to be at your best but I think 
yeah, maybe it's gone a bit too far for Neymar and he needs a bit of reality check and maybe getting going home after just the quarterfinals is maybe the reality check that he needs and we'll see how things go for him the rest of this summer, whether he stays at PSG or if he goes elsewhere. But another Brazil player who I think is similar in that he can turn the game on its head with his skill and in the, the right way, in a positive way, is Gabriel Jesus. Uh, I really like Gabriel Jesus. I think his work rate matches his ability, which is the best thing you can say about any player, I think, if they work as hard or even harder than, than their, their natural talent uh, allows them to do things with their with their skill. And he does a, a lovely nutmeg on Vertonghen in the box. Tackle comes sliding in from company. It looks like maybe it could it should just be a corner and then all the VAR have a look at it and decide that there isn't a penalty awarded, which I think was a bit strange. I watched that replay a few times and... <sighs> It's one of those annoying cliches, but it, you've seen him given, and it could go either way. So again, fortune not going in the favour of Brazil there. So I feel a little bit sorry for them there, especially because it didn't involve Neymar. I think if Neymar had gone down in the box and it was looked at by VAR and it was a bit on the fence, mm. I'd be leaning against it because you think, well, Neymar probably just went down softly. But because it's Gabriel Jesus, who's got a better attitude, I kind of felt sorry for him. But this is the way things go. And it's a... That man Coutinho again, who uh, gets Brazil back into it. Well, not from his goal, but his cross is met by Augusto, and Brazil maybe in with a chance. And they really start coming into the game. I think they get more possession, they have more shots. By the end of the match, they've had 27 shots, nine of which are on target. But another world-class save from Courtois, from Neymar towards the end, when the shot from outside the box, just goes to show. People say you can't win a World Cup with a good goalkeeper, but you can win a goal World Cup with when you have a team that includes a great goalkeeper because there's uh, instances we've just talked about with Courtois and Hugo Luis as well that's doing things that very few goalkeepers in the world can do and it can completely change the texture and the pattern of a game and they'll be very glad to have those men between the sticks no doubt and there we go then that's the first two quarterfinals over with queuing up a very nice semi-final tie between France and Belgium which would have got a lot of people excited yeah, well, let's jump on to uh, the, the second ties. And speaking of, of great goalkeepers, uh, Jordan Pickford in, in this match uh, becomes the youngest England goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet in a World Cup match uh, oh, yes. at, at 24 years old. Um, well, that goes to show how, how the match turns out. England uh, beat Sweden 2-0. Is that really, is that what you saw coming? I England and Sweden have had like, a bit of a growing rivalry over the last couple of years, I feel. Yeah. And it always seemed like every time we went up against Sweden, we never quite anticipated them to be as strong as they were. Um, and then this time, it was kind of a walk in the park. I certainly... I've, I've said this to you before, and other people have thought about this. I, I went into the, watching the Sweden game thinking... I should, you know, it's a it's a big game. It's a quarterfinal of a World Cup, and it's England. Like this should be edge of your seat excitement, and we yeah. should be we should be nervous and anxious. Um, but I went into that game not really worried. I haven't seen anything from Sweden in this tournament that I didn't think that England could couldn't handle. Um, in the very first episode, I think, or the very first time we talked about Sweden, at least, I talked about their squad and how it wasn't as strong as it should be. And I think, oh, sorry, as it has been in the past. And I think for them to get as far as they did with that squad is remarkable. A bit like, I mean, if England had lost in the quarterfinal of a World Cup and went home, 
I think most of the English press would have been like, oh, well, in quarterfinals, that's not bad. I think back home for their, for the Swedish players, I'm sure their fans and the media there will be really proud of how far they've come uh, in this tournament because they've, they've, they've had players in the past, likes of Henrik Larsson and Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who can mm. turn a game on its head. They're the quality that they have and the, the, the talismanic presence that they have for their squads. But this is a squad that didn't really have that. And I mentioned before about how they included Seb Larsson, who's in his mid-30s now. He's had a good career, but he can't be at, be at his best. And I even thought that the fact that he played that first game in the groups against the weaker opposition in, in, the, in their group, I thought that was just to fill a gap. I didn't think he was one of their key players, but he ended up playing in all their important games mm. and showed that he still has good quality and, and good stamina. I'm, I'm surprised it, however old he is, 34 or something, and to still go. But that, again, that just shows they don't really have any young, exciting talent in that squad that can carry them through. So what, as far as experience and consistency can get you, maybe is as far as Sweden could have got. So I really couldn't see England falling down against Sweden. And even there, they haven't scored that many goals throughout this tournament and their main goal threat is Marcus Berg who dis- who like left European football to go play in Dubai or the United, Amare- United Arab Emirates or somewhere. Um, and in his own words, for the money. Uh, right, and, you know, right. if, you know, most, if uh, any striker is like the, the leading goal scorer in their domestic league coming into a World Cup, that should give your your squad a bit of a boost. But if you're the leading goal scorer in the United Arab Emirates League, why is that so hard to say? <laughs> United Arab Emirates League. I don't think anyone really bats an eye. Who cares? <laughs> you know, so if he is their main goal threat, when the likes of Ibrahimovic have come before him, you know, I don't think that's anything for, especially as strong as our defence has been this tournament. Uh, yeah, there was no, there was no worry for me there. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I was expecting us to win and I expected it to be comfortable and, and it turned out to be. Yeah, I, I was watching the, the opening at least and feeling that it was weak from from England. And it is this again and again. Every match it seems to be Gareth Southgate will come out and say, yeah, it took us a long time to gel at the beginning of the game. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and uh, again, like Sweden weren't exactly lacking because Jordan Pickford got man of the match and your goalkeeper doesn't get man of the match if, you know, he hasn't had to do anything. Um, yeah, that's true. But that's, yeah, I've it, just, just said about how strong our defence is, but yeah, you're right. They managed to have a few good chances. Yeah, well, I mean, that goes to show, like, Jordan Pickford is part of that defence. Um, and, like, he's really... You know, it's that Bath City experience. I've said it before. Playing, yeah, yeah. playing against Bath City, it, it helps in these situations. But uh, it, again, we Jordan Pickford got man of the match. We we didn't concede any. We going through to the next round on on the back of a, a clean sheet. That's got to be a, a big confidence boost. But at the same time, I don't know. I was I was saying this to uh to our editor to to Steve who who edits these podcasts. The other half of my awful commentary uh, co host. I was saying to him. That it just doesn't really feel like England are in the semi-final of the World Cup, right? Yeah, like, I, this, I think it just it just right, doesn't. Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't feel like you know. It's like oh yeah, we're we're playing in the semi-final. And it's like yeah, are we? It doesn't feel like this is the first time since nineteen ninety or or something ridiculous. You know, twenty eight yeah, yeah. years. Like um, 
that we've ever we've got through to the the semi final, and I'm kind of like, yeah, all right, and I don't know why that is. I'm not sure. I think it, a a big reason for it, it's Steve. Steve was saying that you know we just haven't England hasn't proven themselves against anybody, and also they haven't been impressive. This isn't like watching the French team, you know, where we're watching the French team going, oh shit. You know, you're you're watching them going like they're they're good, and I don't feel that France is as good as they could be. They're still like m- making opportunities that go nowhere because they are so close that French team to gelling uh, and like to a psychic level. You know, to the <laughs> point where like they're doing back heels to the exact moment there's someone behind them, and they're so close, but they're not quite there. You're like in the ne- the next tournament, the French are just going to be possibly the. I'm watching them going. This looks like the best football I've ever seen, almost. But England, it's like, is it because they've had this easy run that it doesn't feel like it? Does it feel like it doesn't feel like they've earned it? Maybe. What? Why do you? Or is it just that we're not used to it? Right. Why? Why do you feel that I? I don't know. I'm asking you to justify my feeling about why England it doesn't feel like England are in the semi-final. Um, but do you think there's well, anything to that? I think there is something to that. I can kind of, I can kind of empathise with that. And it, it might have something to do with with the run we've been on. I think if we had, if it had been flipped and we had played Sweden in the round of sixteen, and then we got through Colombia in the quarterfinal, that would have maybe felt like we had earned. A place in the semi-final with a mm. bit more, um, a bit more heart, a bit. But the triumph would have felt uh, greater, I think. Yeah. But because we've like we've seen, maybe we've had a we've had the tough we had the tough game first, and it seems to go for a bit of a slump where it was easy. I don't know. I, I feel it's the, the very English sensibility of, yeah, we're doing really well, but why don't I feel? Why don't yeah, we feel more yeah, about it? Yeah. Like we were not willing to accept our success. We always have to find a way to to wish it was more, wish it was greater. And yeah, it was, that it's, seems it, bad. it's weird, isn't it? Like when we have, whenever we have, um, like a British athlete is the best in his in his chosen sport. It's like you, we we spend decades imagine like watching um, people from other countries dominate certain sports. Um, I think about like. Uh, Michael Schumacher in, in Formula One or the likes of uh, Roger Federer or going back Pete Sampras and uh, people in other sports like you know there's, there's tennis as an example um, that when we finally get a British person who is the best in this chosen field Andy Murray was world number one for a while when we had Lewis Hamilton is F1 champion we, we expect to be like just the pride to be overwhelming and we're all going to be so happy because one of our own is the best in the whole world of what he does and mm. we all get to watch because it's this huge spectacle but then when it finally happens it's we're let down so maybe it's that our expectations are, are yeah. too high of, of how yeah. of how good it will feel and maybe we all deep as much as sport is a huge part of British culture especially if you look at like, I mean go back and look at how how well the London Olympics did and how that spirit completely was taken on by the entire country and that yeah that the pride of how well that was uh, presented and organised, and it's like, yeah, we're British. This was us. We did this, even though obviously very few of us were actually involved. Um, that I've lost my train of thought, Dom. 
I lost well, it. Well, that's that's. It's, we're, we're, <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's sorry. We're talking about national pride and you know what it feels to be at the height of these sporting environments, which is kind of the perfect opportunity to to segue over to to Russia and Croatia because Russia are the host nation. They got to the quarterfinals for the first time in in a long time, um, and they unfortunately they uh, they they lost to they lost to Croatia on on penalties. Um, but what a showing from from the Russian team, right? Like they were the the first team we spoke about in the first episode. We said how Putin himself had declared this to be the worst Russian football team of all time, right? <laughs> like this is the weakest that they have ever been, and they got to the quarterfinals. They put they pushed Croatia all the way. They pushed them to extra time. They pushed them to penalties, and ultimately, uh, you know. They they just couldn't make it, but you know, to their uh, to their credit, uh, as I was saying, Putin at the beginning of the tournament says, "Oh God, these boys." But uh, uh, after they lose to Croatia, he puts out a uh, puts out a statement saying that he's proud. He's proud of the national team. Um, that they've done more than was expected of them. He called the the Russian head coach before the match to offer his support, and he called them afterwards to say that. Uh, to say that he was proud of the team, the team said that the the coach said that they were disappointed to have gone out. But it seems like Russia themselves are, you know, the Russian people are proud of how well their their national team did. Um, now you can imagine being on on, on tenterhooks for those going into the penalties. Um, but then there are there are some some comments given given to journalists afterwards. Uh, where it shows that uh, fans were were crying, but then ten minutes later they were spilling out of bars, chanting Russia in the streets and dancing and celebrating. Because the fact yeah. is, Russia did better than they were expected to, and Croatia, who were kind of expected to get to the quarterfinals, and who rankings wise are far higher than than Russia are. Um, yeah, very, very much. They they pushed them all the way to the end, um, and so yeah, we've got got quotes like our boys, uh, our boys did really great. Someone else saying it was a great match. I'm really happy we got to the the quarterfinals. Um, uh, another person saying you can't take the trophy straight away. Um, you know we're, we're going to build on on what we did here. You know that's that's really great to see. I think and you know we again we were saying that um, normally we support the home nation going into a tournament and in this one we go yeah but Russia is a human rights abuser so how much do we really support the home team? In the end, I was kind of rooting for them. I must admit, in this game against Croatia, um, how did you how did you feel about it going in? Yeah, I didn't expect them to give Croatia as much as much trouble as they did. But I've, Croatia were really strong in the group, um, but then they didn't. They struggled a little bit against Denmark as well, and had to go th- through them on penalties. And Russia, kind of in the opposite way took Spain all the way to penalties and then took Croatia all the way to penalties. Um, but so, yeah, like you kind of, they've, they maybe have won over quite a few neutral, neutral parties, at least in the footballing sense um, in this tournament. They've scored some great goals. That first goal against, against Croatia, Cherishov's goal was, was absolutely mm. beautiful. Uh, that lovely left foot curling shot into the top corner. Um, but I think this, <laughs> I think maybe I said this in the round of 16, but you don't expect him to go any any further no one expected them to get this far like you've said they're the they were the lowest ranked team in the whole tournament as hosts 
and mm. to to get through Spain and to get out of their group even you have to say how <laughs> yeah. how did they ever do this a bit like Sweden as well really no one expected much from them but they got all the way to the quarterfinals too so it's just been a great this really great tournament for for surprises and unpredictability but in terms of just winning over hearts yeah I think I think they, they more than deserved to get as far as they did and to even get so close to be a penalty a penalty away from a World Cup quarterfinal you kind of do do feel sorry for them but yeah. at the end of the day Croatia have much more quality and you know as as an as a neutral party you want to see the best teams go forward and Croatia I'm, I'm excited even though they're up against England I'm really excited to see them in a, in a World Cup semi-final I think for the first time since uh, World Cup 98 so they're uh, yeah they're they're an exciting team and the kind of caliber of team you want to see in the last four yeah the only person that the, the Russian I feel really sorry for is is Mario Fernandez who's Brazilian born Russian player um, who gets that goal at the very end of of extra time yeah. to put them through to penalties, and then he messes up his penalty. Yeah, and scores his it's... first ever goal for his country. Yeah, in, in the, the last five minutes of extra time in a World Cup quarterfinal, and then blasts his penalty wide. That's all awesome. swings and roundabouts, eh? Yeah, I mean, just you know, the hero he must have been for ten minutes. Yeah, all he had to um, do was put the penalty in. No one yeah. would have remembered that he was one of the guys who scored their penalties. Yeah. He would be remembered as the guy who got it, them to the penalty shootout. Yeah. So it's the fact that he tried to smash it, uh-huh. like as a, as a defender, like you just, I don't know why he was. Uh, maybe he's actually been very good at penalties and training or whatnot, yeah. or he just volunteered to go because he was riding high off of that head, that equalising goal. But yeah, you just you just don't do that unless you're a proven goal scorer and you've done it a million times. You don't uh-huh. try and smash one into the bottom corner. Just put it away. So maybe the blood rushed to his head a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it is It is a shame to see them go out and uh, a, a shame for Mario Fernandez. I'm sure that the, ce- the celebrations of Russia getting to the quarterfinal will uh, have gone on long into the night. I'm sure he didn't, uh, you know, he probably had a little cry in the changing rooms and then they got themselves together and celebrated yeah. getting getting as far as they did. Putin's yeah, not going to knock any of them off. Um, I don't <laughs> think after getting to the quarterfinals, so... Yeah, good on them. But as you say, we have the semi-final, England versus Croatia. I feel nervous about this. That's all. That's all I've got to say about it, really. Um, <laughs> like okay. I, you know, it's. I don't know. They, they've got three men in their starting lineup named Ivan. That's intimidating. <laughs> it's a scary name. Yeah. No three doubt. Ivans. Jesus. <laughs> it's like triple X. <laughs> with uh, Vin Diesel on those two big guys called Ivan. No, is that is that too vague a reference? From like it's a like film that, film but with one ago. more. Triple it's... Ivan. That's what the new, the, the next one. That's the sequel should be called. Yeah, just about. Well, that... right, we better we better get onto uh, to Facebook and Twitter quick before the match kicks off. <laughs> but this seems like the perfect time to segue to uh, our next segment, Dave. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to this. So, Dave, 2008 was a pretty serious year. I don't know how much of it you remember. It was the year before we went to university, before we met, before we became the the best friends that we are now. And it was also the year that the world's economy turned to utter garbage. It was just 
the worst economic crisis in living memory in almost a hundred years. And really, there were four countries within Europe that were, were hit the hardest by this that came to be referred to as the pigs. We had the Portuguese, the Italians, the Greeks and the Spanish. Really, they were letting the whole team down. But uh, Disappointing. ten years on, it, it, they were a little <laughs> bit, but, but ten, ten years on, the, the effects of this crisis are still being felt, especially within Greece, where it is just crisis after crisis. But in one of these countries, the, the daily newspaper Publico said, all this good news is starting to make me feel ill. We weren't built to handle so much happiness. Ten years on, Portugal has staged the world's most miraculous recovery. And I think it's only fair we actually get a Portuguese person in to, to tell us just how this has happened. Who, who, who have you roped in to, to discuss this with us? Well, obviously, I st wanted to get the most qualified uh, person to talk about such a thing as I possibly yeah. could. Um, so I started at the top. Um, <laughs> but I'm afraid uh, no members of government would take my calls. So instead, I went through my Rolodex and found yeah. the, the one vaguely Portuguese sounding name that I could find. And, and that is who I've badgered mercilessly until he agreed to, to, to Skype with us and, and talk to us today. And that is our, our good friend from university, uh, Luis Enrique. Uh, how are you, Luis? Hello, thank you for well, having the, the, me. It's me. I, I'm a professional. I'm an expert <laughs> in the soccer. In the soccer. Yeah, yeah, you said it right. Well done. In the soccer. I, I'm a bit offended that I wasn't on the top of the list. I wasn't the first person. Well, to be fair, I've not spoken to you in, in about but... six months, so you can forgive me for forgetting that you ever existed. <laughs> well, I haven't spoken to you in about six years, so really, this is, this is pretty remarkable. <laughs> it's a reunion. It is, yeah. but I mean... When, when we were at uni, we would have big discussions about how terrible everything was in Europe, especially in Portugal. And you said, you were saying, I don't even think I want to go back to Portugal. Like, there's no jobs, there's nothing going on. And then now, t 10 yep. years later, not only it has everything at least started to turn around, but you won Euro 2016. And last year, That's you won true. the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, yeah! That guy was cool. I loved him. He was great. Man, it was two big years for us. <laughs> back to back victory. Yeah. We want something else. I don't remember well, the, what. The, heart, the hearts and but minds I, I of kept... the Portuguese people, I think, is, is what's being won over here. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't win the Confederate whatever thing. No, the Confederations Soccer. Cup. No, you, what is it called? Didn't... Yeah, that was Brazil a bit depressing. Because they win everything. For sure. Yeah foreshadowing our our parts like our participation yeah, in this, yeah perhaps yeah at least in a, in a uh, footballing sense World it, Cup. Didn't, uh, it wasn't a great great yeah precursor. yeah well there's, there, there's, let's let's yes. talk about the world cup then so since since it's just let's happened go. uh at the beginning of the world cup in our first episode about portugal uh, Portugal and Spain before that that three three that three three no, draw. Yeah. I was pretty open in my disdain for uh, for for Cristiano Ronaldo, um, and yeah, well, he world, actually yeah. he went a fair way to proving it, and I had to take some of what I said back. But what what is the feeling within within Portugal for 
yeah. for how they did this time around? Are you happy with how it went, or are you more a little bit heartbroken? I don't know. It's 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 really weird because uh, we conned our way uh, to the to the end in the Euro two thousand sixteen, yeah. right? We, we we didn't really deserve it, but we somehow won. And there was this uh, constant hope, and we were like the TVs and channels were all building it, building it up. Like this could happen. We like everyone believes in this miracle now because somehow we won in two thousand sixteen. <laughs> Like we could, we could come our way <laughs> to the finals again, uh, but then, yeah, uh, it didn't happen. Obviously, uh, we lost. But um, there was this, just kind of resignation, and I, I found it a bit weird because we were like, we we wouldn't shut up about the that incredible goal against uh, Spain mm. in the first match we had, where. Cristiano, I, I don't know your, how kick. you call it. It's, it's not a, a penalty, kick, yeah. but it's... A free kick. Sorry? Yeah, a free kick, exactly. So every time you'd uh, turn the TV on, you'd see that goal a million times. <laughs> and uh, the, news, the newspapers were all about that goal. Look, we're in good shape. We, we, uh, we didn't win against Spain, but it was good enough. And then we kind of saw Portugal being shit again against Morocco and Iran, kind of like uninteresting matches completely and so our game against Uruguay was like oh I guess we we tried <laughs> really tried but our team isn't strong enough clearly uh like we had a million opportunities so so when we lost it was kind of and I, I even saw that in Cristiano Ronaldo just the way he was he spoke about the game afterwards it was like like a weird resignation like clearly we didn't have it we tried, and that it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not a big that deal. Yeah, you know, we lost. Whatever. No, I mean, yeah, but that was it. I, I, I we weren't too depressed about it. I, I found that really weird. Um, the the only thing that depresses me is that, it, it, like, the newspapers and not only in Portugal but around the world as well, um, mark this as an uh, the end of an era, not only for Cristiano but also yeah, Messi, yeah. right? Uh, because at least for Cristiano, this could be, this could have been the last World Cup he ever, you know, took part in, and that's that that feels weird. It's kind of depressing. That's I mean, I wouldn't, for me. I wouldn't put it past Ronaldo to come back for the next one. Like considering that he's like thirty three now, right, and he's still one of the two best players in the world, and he's like in the most peak of physical condition that any footballer has ever been in. Like we expect the average age of a footballer to play up until there's like mid thirties, thirty five or whatever, maybe even less if, if they get some injuries. But Ronaldo being like an alien from out of space, I wouldn't be surprised if in four years he's still playing for Portugal. Maybe he won't be their star. Maybe he'll play a bit part, but he could. St- I think he might yeah. go. It depends what happens, I, mean, I suppose. And, in the next four and, years. And considering that he just had the second highest transfer fee of all time, right? He's yeah. just moved to Juventus. They've just signed the deal to, to leave Real Madrid for Juventus. And it's second only to Neymar for the most expensive player of all time at 33, right? That's yeah, that really weird. insane. You don't spend that much money on him if you're not expecting to play him for three years, four years. So clearly Juventus thinks that he's going to be he's a worthy investment for that. But uh, speaking of Ronaldo, you know, I I tend to make my feelings 
about the tax cheat, the criminal. Uh, <laughs> fair, fairly clear. But is does he is he still uh, you know a shining beacon for for Portugal? Is he generally well regarded, or um, you know was is he seen as a bit of a disappointment, or is is everyone everyone still loves him? No, man. There's no disappointment. Is a national hero constantly. There's no way of changing that. Like, there's no way we can't be, like, the whole country can't be proud of him, even if he's a douche or a criminal <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> like, like, he's the only reason we did well these, uh, uh, well, maybe not the, the only reason, because in 2016, it seems like the, the defense was doing a good job, but, like, uh, it's the, he's the main reason we keep going, you know, far, I think. that's That's what kind of is scary about the fact that he might not play the next one or, or whatever, because there's the feeling that you you don't really know when the big, you know, the next good Portugal team is going to be here, you know, because we rely on him so much and everybody loves him. So Yeah, so and they rely feel... quite a lot on their older players generally. I mean, the, the, all, all that defense who, you're right, did really well in Euro 2016. They're all now in the, their mid-30s and we've yeah. got to be in the early, the early uh, the later parts of their careers and there isn't a great amount of like sexy young players no, who yeah, are but... coming in and pr- like giving at least a bit of hope for the future yeah yeah that's what i mean i like i, I i'm i'm also not really informed about the new guys who are coming but it doesn't feel like we're always in, using the the old guys and that's a bit of a problem sometimes yeah but so who knows what the, the... I hope it's not like 60 years of doing nothing. Like, not even getting uh, into the World Cup, you know? You'll be like England. <laughs> You'll be like England in, after World Cup 1966, uh, sorry. We do... We come close like, once or twice every 20 years, and, but then every tournament is just disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Until now. So you've got to wait about 50 <laughs> years, I think. That's, that's, your, that's your penance. Well, um... Um, what, what I'm more worried about is just not being, you know, qualified. That's it. Uh, like, like before 2000, we weren't like we weren't in the 98, and I don't think we were in, in the years before that. So that would be a weird position to be in. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and so it's kind of strange that people are talking about the end of an era when they've only been among the the top your international teams, like you say, for like yeah, 20 yeah. years, and then. They go and win Euro in 16, and then two years later, they disappoint everyone. Everyone's like, well, this great era of Portuguese football is over. It's like, what? I mean, it's been 20 yeah. years of just being there, and then they won one thing. Yeah. It's not like an era ever even existed in the first place. It's just they had, like you say, this kind of miracle yeah, yeah. in Euro 16. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think everybody's that disappointed about our performance in the World Cup. But, but yeah. There's that feeling constantly. Um, well, miracle, miracle seems to be a word that's being thrown around a lot about Portugal at the moment, from from what I've been able to tell. Because, again, when when we used to speak about Portugal, it was always in doom and gloom kind of terms. But now, over the last three or four years, it seems like the whole country is kind of going through some kind of rejuvenation. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. well, go on. You know. You know more about more about this than I do. But it seems like Antonio Costa took, uh, kind of took the uh, took the the Portuguese Parliament from the uh, the the far right parties. And what's kind of interesting about Portugal in comparison to the rest of Europe is that in the rest of Europe we've seen 
how uh, immigration and what, you know, this migrant crisis in as many fucking averted commas mm-hmm. as you can get has led to like kind of the rise of of a far right across across because we had Brexit and then mm-hmm. Le Pen in France came close and Germany's been suffering from that. But Portugal has gone completely the other direction, right? While Europe seems to be going further and further towards the right, Portugal has embraced its its center left, the center left coalition with with like the further left with the Portuguese Communist Party, and it seems to actually be working. Like, is that something that that is actually felt without within Portugal, where the rest of Europe is kind of going further towards hate? Portugal is actually yeah, improving. that's a good point. I don't really know. We don't... I do see, you know, that phenomenon happening everywhere in Europe, but we're, for somehow we're not going in that direction. We're going in other bad directions, but not the far right one, fortunately. <laughs> uh, we, we... There's... For us, it's always been, and I think it's going to be for the next years, I don't think we'll have, like, a far right po- political party gaining strength. Uh, we're always about the right and the, mm. the left. Is that how you say it in English? Esquerda uh, direita. So yeah. it's the socialist part and PSD, which are always fighting for the, the power in the government. We have the PCP, which are like, uh, which is the, port, the, the the Communist Party, but it's mainly old people. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the political party doesn't really have hopes of ever winning anything, like a a... Um, well, well, anything, uh, because yeah, that's that's what that's what I seem to see. Like looking at the the local elections last year, like Costa's like the the Costa's yeah. Socialist Party wins almost yeah. everything, and then he he's in this uh, he's in an alliance with with uh, yeah, with the PCP, but the PCP are kind of in that situation as you're saying where nobody's really voting for them anymore because the less extreme party seems to be doing better than 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 expected um and so the pcp kind of has to you know hold back on their alliance a little bit like the this left leaning coalition seems to exist because nobody wants the right back in so they're willing to make concessions like yeah we don't quite need the extreme stuff or as extreme because nobody wants you know the the right to to take to take power again but there are from well, at least from what I'm reading, the PCP is like, okay, how do we make ourselves relevant? How do how are we going to maintain votes when the less radical socialist party seems to be doing pretty yeah. well? Well, the the PCP, I think it might be the same in other countries. I'm not sure, but it's a weird political party because they're they're on the left side, right? They're uh, left wing, but they're really conservative in certain aspects, like. Um, the, like so people like young people don't really go for their for their you know views because i don't know like um like a few weeks ago we had there's this big talk about you know toradas you know the bullfighting stuff uh mm. there was a proposal to ban it because it's part of our tradition but it sucks because we're killing bulls and and like <laughs> the, the left wing like in general are against it but then like PCP is one of those that is always on the side of the right wing in those el- like uh, elements right. and like so they they're kind of economically yeah, left wing but... yeah 
yeah, progressively yeah, they're very, right-wing. very conservative, conservative in, in certain aspects. Really weird. And mm. um, but then we have PNR, which is the far right uh, political party, but which, you know, they have no power at all and they're really small. So I don't think they'll be a threat anytime soon. But, but yeah, uh, PCP, I don't know. They're weird. Um, can you can you offer any kind of suggestion for why it is that that Portugal has managed to avoid that? I don't know if it's just because when we've had these like this increase in in migration throughout Europe, Portugal is as far as away from all of that migration as you can be and still be in Europe, right? It's it's the uh, the the westernmost country other than Ireland. So is it just that? migrants aren't making it to portugal and so there isn't a crisis about immigration or is there just something about being portuguese or is it even winning the euro 2016 and (laughs) winning uh eurovision that just you know there isn't a crisis of what it means to be Uh, portuguese the same way there is there's a a few you know bad reactions well we we received like um some Uh, migrants like a few years ago I don't know a few thousands not that many Uh, but there's there's these stories of of a lot of them you know going away like going to Germany or other richer countries because the conditions aren't great here anyway and because a lot of the families get separated or go different ways so they they'd rather go meet you know uh, go to bigger communities instead of staying here in Portugal. That's the stories I've heard. So we didn't, we don't really have that problem. But we're, I think, in general, we're pretty open to receiving them. It's just that we don't really, really have the country for it. Um, so yeah, it's it, it hasn't been an issue really. And I think another reason maybe we're not that open, but is because we had. To, uh, I've, we've talked about this before. We had the dictatorship. The, it was like a, a right, mm. extreme right wing dictatorship until '74. That's when we had the revolution and we became a free country finally. So I think it's too close uh, to this time, uh, to, to nowadays, for us to be interested in the in those you know views and ways again. Um, ever since that happened, we've very we've very been very much been a socialist you know leaning country uh mm. yeah that's interesting because looking at a, a country like brazil which i mean it's the, the only other major country well, other than macau i guess the you know the portuguese the big portuguese colony where but brazil was in a similar situation where it only came out of his dictatorship you know around the same mm-hmm. around the same era um, but Brazil seems to have this um, almost desire for the old days, right? And I think there is a similar thing in, in Spain, where it's like, yeah, but things weren't that bad <laughs> under the far right, right? Like, especially after, um, you know, after 2008, after the economic crisis, where now, finally, like, the, the budget deficit in Portugal was the lowest since democracy was restored in in 74. Like, the the economy now is as good as it was under a dictatorship, which is kind of mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but, like, is there... There's no nostalgia among 
the older generations of going, yeah, but Portugal was just so much stronger back when we didn't have democracy. There isn't any. Yeah, it's really cringe, but you you start, sometimes hear those comments like, oh, you know, back back then you you'd have more in, uh, uh, like there was not not so much unemployment or uh, immigration mm -hmm. wasn't a problem or whatever. I don't know. Um, there is that nostalgia sometimes, but I think it's a minority. I don't think we're, in general... I, I mean, we had this thing like 15 years ago or 10 years ago. Maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't know how time works. Um, uh, <laughs> we had this stupid show, which uh, which was called the... the, the uh, I don't know. The best Portuguese in guy... How do, how do you translate this? Like, Oh, like the best Portuguese yeah, in history. Yeah, I think you've had that probably in England, right? Like, who yeah. was the best? Yeah, yeah. we, we yeah. have one. Ours was Winston Churchill won. I think Princess Diana came second. Then it was David Beckham. So <laughs> <laughs> that's worthy, that's worthy. from my, okay, my yeah, memory. So, yeah, I, off, uh, off the top of I my mean, head. Um, uh, the guy who won that was Salazar, the, the dictator, the right-wing dictator, which is really weird. <laughs> Uh, like a guy everybody hates, but like that guy won that thing, so that means something. Some guys that were voting for that guy uh, in that show, and yeah. the second, the guy who won who was second was um, the creator of the 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 communist party here. Um, so okay. two completely different, you know, guys. Where was Ronaldo on this list? I, I was Ronaldo. I don't think Ronaldo was a thing then. This was like. Oh, this was like 15, that, 14 years ago. Oh, okay. Right. If it had been in 2016, I didn't know who would <laughs> yeah. have been at the top of that list. Maybe but right. that is a kind of that is a kind of scary yeah. uh, a scary thing. This is what I'm always saying about democracy, how it is just a ridiculous idea because you give people the chance to vote for who they think is the <laughs> best person ever, and they choose the below the last person they should be uh, they should be putting yeah. at the top. It's it, yeah. It was explained by some by some experts that like the people who would vote for other for for footballers or writers or poets didn't vote because it was a crappy show thing, a TV thing, and the yeah, guys who yeah. saw the the opportunity to vote for Salazar did. So I think that's why that also explains why a guy like that would win because if everybody voted in Portugal, I don't think that that would be the case, but. But still, the the feelings are there. I think there's there's some guys that are nostalgic for that, for that era, which was terrible, and people were tortured, and uh, literature was you know censored, and films weren't shown, and stuff like that because they controlled everything. So it wasn't a good era, definitely. But and they were not winning. Yeah. The Eurovision yes, Song Contest. That's what. Back that's back what in those Frieden days. Does to no. your country. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. But, but if you go back a little bit further, that... you've got the like. I mean, in terms of football, there's the, the great days of Eusebio. Like he was arguably the best player in the world in like the fifties. Yeah, Eusebio. Eusebio. Yeah, it was... uh, and it. Yeah, uh, he was a. I maybe a child of immigrants or an immigrant mm -hmm. himself, and uh, so it, what was in that kind of. Um, under that far right dictatorship, what was it, what was the sort of um, race situation? Was was Portugal a very diverse country, or was it um, a bit more well, uh, segregated? Uh, to be honest, I'm not the best guy to talk about that. But um, we always had 
you know, throughout the dictatorship, we had the trouble, like the problems with the um, the colonies, which was uh, not problems, but like we wanted to be fr- like uh, to free them, right? And that happened very right, very yeah, okay. late. We had wars uh, in many other countries, and so we always had a weird relationship with races race because we were that empire, the Portuguese empire, was a was a thing until until those years, but. But because of that, I think we always had a country that was quite diverse, and it, it's okay. always that hypocrisy, right? The thing uh, where you have you have this racist governments or um, uh, values and stuff like you know keep things apart, but then you have these big stars like Eusebio and you, you applaud them and. And yeah. it's like there's a quite a quite a lot of racism and segregation here in Portugal. Not segregation, like in the the real sense of the, the term, but you know, black people are put in the suburbs and stuff like that. That 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 is a thing in Portugal. Yeah. And and then we applaud guys that go in our national team and win win it for us. Like Ether is a national hero, just because of that crappy goal. Yeah, that, that yeah. one goal, and then he did nothing. And I, I, I see some black people, actors and stuff, mentioning that on Facebook and social media, like, oh, we, we are a racist country, there's always racism, but then when it comes to these moments, you're applauding these guys who, who you know, play for us. Like, there's one of those yeah, worst, yeah. worst things here, like, in terms of racism in Portugal is against, um, what do you call them in English? Gypsies? Is that is that the word? Gypsies. You know, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. it's yeah. a really weird thing. Like racism against black people is is viewed as not acceptable, right? In general, you shouldn't be racist. But when it comes to gypsies, you can say you're you hate gypsy people because that's acceptable. Uh, they're they're so far <laughs> below the you know the social norm that it's accepted. They're, they're but that's not cool, right? I'm I'm saying that that shouldn't be. It's so weird and strange that yeah. That's yeah, that strange. is. I've yeah. heard people say, "Oh, I'm not racist," but you know, you know how gypsies are. You know, they steal and shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I'm so fucking astounded. Uh, uh, like every time I hear that, and yet we have this gypsy, yeah. the gypsy guy. You know, his name, um, Quaresma. Uh, yeah, yeah, Quaresma, like yeah. he's one of the biggest um, stars we have, and he plays well and. He scored some goals, and and he he sometimes mentions this. Oh, you know, this gypsy guy saved you and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah, really? yeah. I was curious if there were any representatives representatives of that culture in in your national team. So yeah, charisma. That makes yeah, sense. did you know he was gypsy? No, uh, I didn't know, but no, it kind of. Uh, so yeah, it's it. I always see. hate that. Oh yeah, we hate gypsies, but when there's this guy who plays well, we're glad he's here. Like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that hypocrisy. It's like in America in the civil in the civil rights uh, era when Muhammad Ali was still the you know the most famous, most popular mm. fighter in in America, and uh, the throughout the sixties, the the best basketball players in in America yeah, were all exactly. black guys, and you you'd go, you'd go along and see your team and cheer them on because they're great athletes, but then they still have to sit at the back of the public buses and they still have to go to yeah. their own clubs and start to drink out of their own segregated water fountains and. 
Yeah, I mean, it's even bizarre. even even before the sixties. You know, you're looking at uh, Jesse Owens in in the thirties. That's right. right. Yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, in in the, Berlin, the Olympics right? in Germany, yeah. and Je- Jesse Owens shows up Hitler, and Hitler like has that whole thing with the gold medal. And America's like, yeah, we showed those racists. Now come back and use the other water fountain. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then, but th- that's still yeah. going on, right? It's almost a hundred, hundred years later, and you're going, what are you doing, kneeling on the yeah. pitch? Yeah, stand up for the anthem, you know. And I think this, there is something about uh, about sport and and race. Well, the whole point of this podcast was to, you know, for the, to bring the politics and sports together. Because they're not talked about as as often as they should do, but I think what you're saying is is right, Luis. And it's not just constrained to uh, to Portugal, but every country in the world seems to have this uh, seems to have this hypocrisy. And in the UK, I think Raheem Sterling going into this World Cup is probably the biggest example of that. Where you know uh, the the papers have chastised him for not being a good role model. And then targeted him because his name is Raheem, and it's like, guys, yeah. come on! Like, you hear the phrase, uh, you know, it's 2018, and last year, oh, but it's 2017 or it's 2016. Well, we've been saying that for 20 years, right? We were saying, come on, it's the year 2000 now, and you know, and it doesn't seem to matter what year it is. Um, these issues are, are still going on, but God, I hope we're I hope we're making some progress. Otherwise, it's going to start getting really depressing. So to 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 get away from that as soon as possible, Dave, is there anything else uh, regarding Portugal's uh, Portugal's attempts in this World Cup that you you wanted to discuss? I think we talked about it a lot in the early days, and that in the same way that Argentina relied on relies on Messi and. Um, we didn't really mention it, but Colombia kind of really relied on James Rodriguez when he was fit. And mm. in that last group game before the last 16, he was the guy who really turned Colombia on and really ran the game. And when he was firing, Colombia were firing. And even though they have Falcao, who's like their, their talisman, mm-hmm. it's actually Rodriguez who makes things happen. And it happened when it, where he wasn't fit to face England, it really showed that Colombia, without any flair, without any creativity, they had to resort to that sort of aggressive... Uh, underhanded way of trying to stop England and with Portugal it very much seems the same way it's just like uh, it's all about what Ronaldo yeah. can do and if you look like look, looking at, at their lineups they have some interesting um, creative mm-hmm. players like Bernardo Silva from uh, Manchester City is like he's supposed to be like a world-class creative player but I don't really see much much mm-hmm. from him and yeah that 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 foundation that they did build on where it's it's like okay we've got really good defenders most of whom are quite mm-hmm. old now i mean jose font left england to go play in china or somewhere and pepe <laughs> who did score the, the goal against uruguay but then ended up being at fault yeah. Yeah. For, um, for the second goal and he's in like his third i think he became portugal's oldest ever world cup goal scorer at about 35 Ooh, years pepe, old pepe's um, 35 what yeah. the hell Man, he's old. Yeah, <laughs> he's been around forever. Like he was, he was in Championship Manager two thousand and eight. Dom, I remember it for. Oh. So he, you know, he's been around a long time. But the yeah, good old days. yeah, I think it's it's always been it, for most of this twenty year spell. If we got, uh, I think Ronaldo probably made his bow for the international stage quite young because he burst onto the stage at uh, Lisbon when he was about seventeen. Yeah. Um, the famous story of where Manchester United played against Lisbon in a pre season friendly. And Sir Alex Ferguson was so impressed by this 17-year-old kid who was ripping the shit out of uh, out of United that he signed him up 
for a however many a laughable amount of money yeah. um, and then obviously goes on to be the biggest most expensive player in the world or second most expensive player in the world now um excuse me so ah uh, i've completely forgotten what i was going to say i've done this twice today that's so annoying what was i talking about uh you're really letting the team down. I'm letting the team down. oh yeah so that they have yeah, yeah. So you know that, what? Yeah, they have that foundation of the defense and Ronaldo, and let's just fill in all the gaps that are missing mm. there and try and do yeah. something. And as much as Ronaldo did like that free kick you talked about, which was astounding, yeah. it was world class. Like the, the commentary on English TV was uh, one of those moments that's going to be re- every time that free kick will be replayed, that commentary will be uh, with it, going, "He's only gone and done it." Oh my God, he's only gone and done it. Like it was world-class, but then that was like, I think he'd had like 45 or 46 attempts at free kicks in international competitive games before that and not scored scored any of them. And he scores one, which granted not many people can do. And, you know, he's maybe the one, he's like the best player in the world. And then he's had a few more opportunities since then. He missed all those ones too. He even missed the penalty, right? Yeah, I think so. Did, who did that sucked. Against? I can't remember. Uh, I think... Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't imagine... Yeah, if you have your... Like when Messi missed a penalty for Argentina. It's like you get mm. a penalty, this great opportunity to, to get a goal yeah. in, in a high-stakes tournament. And you go, if there's one guy we want to take this, yeah. it's Cristiano Ronaldo. It's Lionel Messi. And when they miss, imagine the, how deflated yeah. <laughs> you must be as a team when your hero, your leader... <laughs> yeah, makes, that was... It can't you know, do something that presumably happens, he's been yeah, doing it is thousands of times. Yeah. yeah, but how how strange it must be to for even for the, not just the team to be so deflated by that. But I bet the, I bet the whole country probably was like after Ronaldo, the, the god that he is, can't score a penalty. Then that must take a lot of the yeah, stuffing yeah. out of you as a definitely as a fan. Poor guy. And but, what's poor guy? I mean, what's he going to do with all those hundreds <laughs> of thousands of pounds a week? <laughs> what's he on? Like, yeah, it's a side of five hundred thousand. Of something like five hundred thousand pounds or euros a, a, a yeah. week contract for like three or four years. He deserved. He deserved. Well, I think with with, with that amount, <laughs> with that amount of money, he can get a new head at that airport, can't he? Because yeah, uh, fix that statue. Man, he's already done fix, it. Fix that statue. They oh, of course. course he did. Oh. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. So, <laughs> but what, what happened to the know. old one? Because that it's, it's weird I because now people are pissed <laughs> off because the other one is too good. They lo- like. Yeah, of course you've got I mean, to love it, the old like, one, Yeah, it right? had to stay. But I don't know if there was an explanation for it, but when it was swapped, there was a, a little bit of a mystery, like, who who the hell swapped this? And because the airport was notified and stuff like that, and just some guy made a new statue. I, right. I don't know if there was any development on that story, but... Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure Ronaldo, like on the slide, just paid some world class sculptor. Like, just, just, <laughs> can you do something about this? Do you please? think he paid for it? I don't think he paid for it. I wouldn't be surprised. He I can. mean, it had to be the airport, right? <laughs> or who? I don't know. When what kind of publicity does that give to your to your I airport? Don't know. Or, or the island, or I don't know, the government. Yeah, like I think I would imagine, maybe just because I'm very cynical, but I would imagine more people would want to go to Miradira to see the shit statue than would I, want to go yes, and see well, the good statue. I it. it was amazing. Definitely. I want to see the old one. You yeah, went to see it? I mean, I, didn't, I went to see a friend, <laughs> then I saw the statue of it. Obviously. I, I, went, I went to the museum. <laughs> the, it was a little, there's a Ronaldo yeah, museum. Yeah, yeah. Quite, quite small, oh, but there's the, all the golden balls. Is that how you say it? 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it sounds yeah. funny when you uh, say And uh, golden <laughs> shoes, I don't know what they're called. Uh, boots, golden boots, exactly. yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw it. It's good. Good museum. But, so you're, you're not a guy, you're not a guy, Luis, who's obsessed with football. You're not really no, a football no, no. guy. So what does someone like Ronaldo do to your the way you absorb football when it's something you wouldn't really pay attention to if it wasn't for the fact that you your country has mm. one of the two greatest players to maybe yeah, of all time. I don't think it's because of Cristiano. It's just for me it's the it's it's the World Cup and Euro as a, as an event and the fact that Portugal is there because I've all, always liked watching Portugal play. I, I think that's the only thing. I mean there's there's added value because Cristiano is there and I like to watch him play and he makes the the our matches more interesting but it's yeah. not really about him I think for me it's more there's something about the events themselves and mm-hmm. because I still like to watch the rest of the games like I'm, I'll probably watch England play That's today cool. and, and stuff like that um, but I don't care for the clubs that's that's my my thing I can't have this stress in my life every fucking year I don't understand how you guys <laughs> do it like no I'm my I'm heart with can you take it I'm with you on that like if I was a oh, Benfica fan or sporting man, it, it's an endless loop. It it just goes. You end. You're you're a champion, and then two months later, you're already working for the next one. It never ends. Mm. That's pretty much yeah, how it goes. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Try being a West Ham fan. It's, it's yeah. stressful. But yeah, you know. But then there's the other side. They're like, oh, we lost this World Cup. Now I have to wait four years. I'll be dead by then. Uh, <laughs> uh, I see. Hey, you've only got you've only got to wait two more years for the yeah. next Euros, and you're the reigning champions of the Euros. Yeah. So who knows what could happen? Well, and frankly, you only have to wait until or is uh, Eurovision was that already hosted in Portugal? This Eurovision, year? It's already happened. Yeah, sorry. Oh, I, has it? Yeah, but Damn the Portuguese it. guy. What's the name of the guy who won 2017? Twi- Luis? Who, do you know? Who, do you know? So what do you mean? The guy who won Eurovision last year. Oh, uh, Salvador Sobral, Portuguese guy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. amazing. So he, like, I watched the Eurovision this year, 2018, just waiting for him to do. Like, the winner always comes back and performs the following yeah. year. So this, uh, the, all the acts this year were shit. I mean, they're all supposed to be shit, really, aren't they? But watching the 26, the 17 <laughs> one, and then this guy Salvador comes on for Portugal, and this is an, like an objectively good song. It's got folky elements, and he's got an incredible yeah. voice, and it's not some pop bollocks that the rest of it is. So that kind of blew me away and it made me, it's kind of one of these amazing moments where you sit down thinking, this is all, maybe it's the same if you don't really like football and you sit down to watch football and you're like, well, I'm not going yeah. to enjoy this, but maybe I can take the, I can take the mick out of the, the rolling around yeah, like yeah, pansies yeah. and or the, if they've got stupid haircuts or something, but then you see something that actually takes your breath yeah, away. Yeah. It can really just sort of surprise you and reinvigorate your appreciation for things. And I think that did that for, for me for Eurovision yeah. last year, at least just with music, just to know that in something that is completely like a pool of what's supposed to be vapid and mass produced, uh, flavorless music, mm-hmm. someone like that could even get selected to be in the competition yeah. in the first place. 
And then when he performed, I was like, he's too, he's too good. There's no way that he can win. Sorry, I'm going on a diatribe now about Eurovision. This no, I, I was going to say, this, this uh, World Cup football and international politics podcast has taken a real Well, turn. I think Eurovision and politics have got a lot of common ground there. So I don't think I'm, I'm oh, no, straying I'm, too far. Yeah, I'm with you. That's, that's next year's podcast. <laughs> yeah, there's no, no football, so we've got to talk yeah. about Eurovision. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Just talk about that again. It, it was just a, a weird couple of years for Portugal. I don't, I don't think our country is used to winning anything. We're a very pessimistic country. I think England has some of that too, right? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. We were like, oh, yeah. oh, man, we suck at everything. We're poor. Uh, our Eurovision songs usually are terrible. And then all of a sudden we win the, Eurovi- yeah. the, the, the Euro and then the Eurovision. And we're like, man, what the hell? What is this feeling? And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know there was still some of that uh, for the Confederate Cup thing, and then for this, and obviously it doesn't last forever. But yeah, it was a couple of weird couple of weird uh, years for us in terms of positivism that th- wasn't there before and hope. Do you think that that feeling that feeling of hope can, will continue within the country going forward, even if it's not sporting events, even if it's not? The, the yeah, wondrous I think, uh, feeling of, of winning Eurovision. Is it something that's uh, a new hope within Portugal? I think so. It definitely brought some you know, new feelings. We're like, okay, we can, we can make this happen in certain areas of our, our country. Like, but with that, with the success and you know, tourism flourishing in Portugal and stuff like that, come, you know, there's uh, bad things that come. Like, uh, I live in this Lisbon bubble, obviously, but like in Lisbon... We have this thing going on that has happened in London too, where the Lisbon, Lisbon, people from Lisbon um, are forced <laughs> out of the, the, the capital because it's getting very, very touristy and very, very expensive to live here. Yeah. Apartments are very expensive. Like people are getting thrown out of their apartments too for Air, Airbnbs and stuff like that. So young people are forced to live in the outskirts. So it's a weird thing when a, a, a city becomes popular, all these bad things also happen. And yeah, double-edged yeah. sword. Totally. So that is a, that has been a constant like this last year and two two years, like and I'm guessing it's the same in Porto, like it's the the main city in in the north, like like rents have been going high, like up. And and that's a weird a weird thing too. Not very fair for the the people who've been here for forever, but yeah. But yeah. So with success in Euro, you know, you get bad bad moments too. Like in the World Cup this year, you can't you can't win every time. Yeah, if, uh, if ever a truer yeah. words were spoken. Well, that's that seems like a perfectly yeah. depressing place. Back to, to my end, Portuguese spirit. I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we had that moment talking about the hope of Portugal going forward, and then ended with. Uh, no, but oh, like with, with with that flourishing tourism, there's also a lot of like uh, events. Like we have Eurovision here as well. We have the Web Summit. We have all these big events now coming here to Lisbon. It's weird. Um. So that that's hopeful. I I still I, I still think that's kind of good that people are interested in our country, um, but yeah, there's also there's always a downside. 
well, I hope that uh, that Portugal can maintain that balance and that you can uh, not not fall into the pits, the same pits of despair that the rest yeah. of Europe and the, uh, especially Britain has done. Dave, do you have any any final words? Uh, I hope you don't get kicked out of your apartment for an Airbnb, Luis. <laughs> that'd, that'd be really It'd sad. It'd be very that. weird because my mother o- owns this apartment. If she does that to me, <laughs> man, <laughs> knife in the back. That doesn't mean you're safe, man. That doesn't mean you're safe. <laughs> Yeah, we never know. Thank you to Luis Enrique for joining us there to uh, to discuss Portuguese football, Portuguese politics, and that bastard Ronaldo. And thank you for lending us your ears once again in this discussion on the quarterfinals. Next up, we have God the the heights of the semi-final, Dave. I, I'm I'm nervous for England going into this. Do you actually want them to win? Will you be able to stand the tension of the final if England do win, or will you just have a heart attack? I think I might just die. I'm thinking that I'm thinking this <laughs> I know, thing. Honestly, though, I think it's a win-win situation for England. Like if England go out in the semi-final of a World Cup after all those years of hurt, I don't think. Yeah anyone will be disappointed. I mean, people will be a little bit disappointed because this is a team that could go all the way to the final, maybe even win it, but they've done better than what I was ever expected of them, so the boys are heroes no matter what happens, I think. I agree. So thank you for listening, and we will see you after the semi-finals, if we're still alive. Anarchy in the UK!